Good morning. A little different setup, huh? Well, today we're going to start a two-week series on uh, small groups. About a year ago, I did a series on this. And the next two weeks, I'm going to give you about everything I know and everything that's within me. But then I'll just do what I've been doing for 30 years. I'm just going to walk it out and model it. And the church said, it's doing life together. I want to I tell you, last year was a year that we just kind of reconnected, re-engaged uh, small groups to a new level. This year, uh, we're raising the bar higher. One of the big ways we did that was we hired Randy Williams to come be our associate pastor and work with our small group directors. And I'll just tell you this, we had 25 small groups last year at this time. It looks like there'll be 34 groups as of the next two weeks. And we just want to keep rising up and rising up. So I want to talk to you about small groups. Uh, I want to start off this way. A lot of you, we have a lot of transition in Montgomery with the military bases and state workers. So a lot of people come and go. There's no telling how many thousands have been through our doors in the first 12 years. And I've often wondered how big Christ community could be if people didn't, if the government didn't tell them they had to move. I mean, how rude of the government. They never consult us. But, uh, and then people just move with opportunities for their families. I certainly understand that. And, you know, Montgomery's such a, a thriving, uh, place. But anyway, so, uh, as we look at it, but people are always moving, always looking for, uh, moving vans and stuff. And some of you have just faced this just this summer because I've been meeting many of you and we just had a great transition out with our military, a lot of military coming in. But, you know, you come to a new town and today at least you've got the web and you go on and you begin to look because you just you don't know anything about this community except that's where you have to work and you don't know what neighborhood to live in. So that's very confusing. And then then you start saying, OK, well, what neighborhood? What's the school situation like there? And you just have this litany of questions, and then what's my house going to look like? What's the style of house that we're going to choose to buy? And what's the price of the house? And then you have to go, well, what's going to be the right fit? And all these questions. And, you know, for me, me and Don have had three houses. We've been in this house for 15 years come December. So, I mean, we're probably subject to a move because we've got so much stuff. Do I have a witness? You, but you see, you military people, y'all are just like always on the move, like, hey, it's just one box away. Okay. But, uh, but you know, you go to these places, and, and you go and you look at a house, but, you know, that's what it is. It's a house. You go in, and there's somebody's table, and, and there's pictures on the wall, and it's not your family. And you go over to the couch, and it's not your couch. And you go to the bedroom, and it's certainly not your bed. And it's just kind of a weird deal. But then you decide with your wife or your husband that this is the house for us, or you're single. You buy this house, and, and you move in. You're like, man, it was a house at closing. But when you move in, you begin to put your stuff in there, and it becomes a, a home. Because a home is where family lives. I mean, that's where you kind of just hang out and do so. Home connection is very important. Very. Well, you know, this is a spiritual house that was built, but I believe it's a home. It's a home for many people that call this their church family, Christ community. And you see, every weekend people come in and they watch and they look. And today I've been meeting people and they've just been kind of walk, watching around. I can always tell when there are new people in here. They're, they're just doing this. Sensory overload and watching the colors and watching the person next to them with their hands up and the person next to them sitting on their hands and 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 and, and some people singing and some people not and some people you wish wouldn't sing but you're just praising God because the Bible says make a joyful noise anyway but but you know it's it's a family I mean you got to come in today and you saw what a family does man we worship God and for some of you you're considering faith and some have decided to put that away but you know we want to move you into a place that you make real connection and you build real relationships 
And that's why small groups is so big around our church because you can't connect with four or 500 people on a Sunday morning. I mean, I'm an extrovert. Would you agree? I love people. I want to hug and, and hang out with everybody in this room. I really do. But I can't know you and you can't know me. So church has never been intended in the celebration services for you to just feel all ooey and gooey. We want to drive you to the heart of God. And we want you to worship Him in His splendor. And we want you to meet some folks. But if that's all you do is just come in every weekend and you just do that, it's like there's this restaurant. I want to see if y'all have ever spent any money there. They like to have these really long lines. And these people like to have this addiction. And they pay lots of money. The, the, Starbucks, and and basically they've made a bazillion dollars selling an experience, and they've hooked America on it. And then they're so, and I I don't even drink coffee, but some of their frozen drinks are pretty cool. And I've even gone into some of these places, and I go in, and I like the way they have the couch, and you just kind of sit around, and man, it's just just a cool place. Now I don't call Starbucks home. I've got a pastor friend north of here, and, and that's what he did the first few years of his church. He said he was the most caffeinated pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. And you know me, I don't need no caffeine. I mean, I don't, I don't even drink coffee. I don't even drink Coke anymore. I mean, I, I'm just like this. I mean, if I did, every once in a while I've been accused of, are you off your meds? I don't take meds. Maybe I should. Mom, my, my, my stepmom's here today. Mom, I'm glad you didn't know about some of those drugs then. Okay, so anyway, but uh, <laughs> I better keep on going here. But real relationships happen in small groups. Just write that down. Real relationships really do happen in small groups. You see, you come through the front door, and there's an eternal teenager there named Zelda and, and Parker, and, and you just met people through the foyer, through the hall, and then you got to the info kiosk, and you came here, and people greeted, and they say, hey, welcome into our venue. We call this the living room. That's why I sit at a table and chair most weekends. And, and today I wanted to do it a little different, and you'll see why in a minute. But you come to the front door, and you get in the living room, and you have a living room experience. And living room is pretty awesome. I mean, living room, family room, you just kind of hang out, and you and you watch, and you participate, and you back off, and you, you sniff, and you just do all kind of things. But it attracts people, but will it keep people? Does it really connect you with generations? Does it connect you with people that have something going on? Because from parking ushers, Sean Murphy and team greeted you when you turned off Ryan Roden at his campus. I mean, they had an awesome smile, man. They were ready to meet you, and people greeted you, and people loved you. And you got in, and greeters and the tech team, they, they've been working on video slides, and Adam and the team's been working on music, and I've been working on the message, and we've been trying to get all the elements just right for today. Can you see, there's something I learned a long time ago. I have to keep you in mind, and I have to keep those far from the cross in mind every weekend that I come. Because it's not about me and it's not about us. It's about those far from the cross of Jesus Christ. And we just kind of sit out and we do, we hang out, we do life together, but I'm encouraging you today to do something else. I'm encouraging you to take the next step. Next step. See, this isn't the only step for some of you like, dude, do you know me coming to church? That was huge. I mean, dude, I was looking for a, a crash helmet or something when I came in through the four years this morning because I thought the beams would fall. I'm like, ha, 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 ha. But you came in. And some of you, you'll just be content and you'll check it off and go, spirituality, check. Went to worship. Well, I mean, that's cool. It's a great starting place. But look at the top of your outline. It's a great verse. Ephesians 2, 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're members of God's very own household. This is the house of God. I pray it's a home of faith for you. I pray that you're learning to love and know more of Jesus, that you come in. Because you see, this morning, this is a kitchen table. I don't invite strangers to the kitchen table. 
I invite people that I'm willing to do more of life with, and we get more intimate at the kitchen table. It's a, it's a sacred place. It's where family connects. And that's why I want to teach from this this morning, because I just want you to have this visual burning, the family table, the kitchen table. And some of you are like, dude, we can't even see our kitchen table. There's so much stuff on it. We'll get the stuff off. But this is the kitchen table, and, there, and there's something high and holy and sacred about this. There seems to be acceptance and care at the table. Yesterday, Hannah had a birthday, and she turned 19, and we had a big uh, dinner last night at her grandmother's, and we sit around the family table, and, man, it's just an awesome thing. I mean, we do family stuff at the table. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, man, I, I love those experiences. Well, we're inviting you to do church that way. Look at the message truth. Just feel, look, uh, you don't have to fill it in. Just look at it. As a faith family, we're building a spiritual home, not a house. See, I started with that illustration. There's a huge difference between a house and a home. A home is where the family dwells. Are you part of the family of faith? Are you part of the Christ community family? See, many of you are just visiting. We, we've got more visitors in the last two or three months than we've seen since we opened the doors. I don't know what it's going to take to convince you, but I'm going to tell you to take a next step. Get ready to write. Four focuses on small groups. Number one, small groups meet people's needs. We all have needs, and they're different, and some of them are similar. And in the book of Acts, and I'm not going to read this passage, it's very long, it's Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and, and the guys have this incredible job, and they says, hey, we need to appoint deacons, and we need to appoint people to sit table, to wait tables and do things so we don't neglect the word. But, you know, there's just always this thing of, of needs. I thought it was really interesting, I'm talking about needs today. Uh, Monday morning, we have a prayer group here every Monday, and Mike Murphy came in very enthusiastic Monday morning, he says, man, guys, I got an idea. And you get an idea, you're like, okay. And he says, man, this is an idea. He said, it's, it's biblical. Well, that, that's a pretty good idea. He goes over in the book of Acts. We always talk about the book of Acts around here. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 45, they begin to meet the needs of the people. He said, you know, I think we ought to have a, a meeting needs ministry. And Mike began to share his heart about what that meant and what, what God was doing. And there was a need in our body, and that need needed to be met. So he lifted up the need. He was in a men's leadership meeting, and he said, hey, we need a doghouse for this family to do this and this. And when he did, somebody across the table said, hey, I got one. We're not even using it. I can meet the need. And it made me go back. I got to get up for a minute. I'll come back. But I remember when we started Christ Community because I'm just curious. How many of you were with us at AUM when we started Christ Community? Hold them high. Yeah, sprinklings of you. We were just this little church that was a great concept that was exploding with intensity and we didn't have anything. We, we were on the cutting edge of praise and worship. Let me tell you how cutting edge 12 years ago was. We had put down the hymnals of the faith, and we were using overheads with transparencies. That was cutting edge! I mean, it really was. People were going, can you have worship without a hymnal? I went, certainly. And somebody would sit on the second row, and they would flip the transparencies. I mean, we, we were high tech. We didn't have anything. I mean, we had a, a nursing building we rented, and we had to be out. We were having an hour, 40-minute services, and we went to two services, and we had to be out at 1 o'clock because they started lecturing in there. So we didn't even have a home but just for a few hours. I mean, we were the portable church. And we would do life, and, and we would begin to put needs up. And we had this thing, we had a transparency, and we go, needs of the week. I never will forget. Pastor needs a desk. Pastor needs a chair. Somebody found something old in their garage, and they brought it up. But, you know, when you ain't got nothing, you're just kind of excited. We prayed for a 486 computer. You don't know much about computers, do you? We prayed for that puppy. It ran the church for the first year. Praise God, it died years ago. But uh, but it was cool. And we also put a need, I never will forget, 
needed a trailer to haul the sound equipment. And every breakfast and lunch, I would meet people to try to build a church. And I met with this couple one day, and they took me to a restaurant, and they'd be like, grill the pastor. I mean, I was really getting tired because everybody grilled my theology every meeting. And we finished the meal, and they said, you passed the test. And they slid an envelope to me. I opened up the envelope, and there was a check for a very large amount of money because on that Sunday morning, they had worshiped with us, and we said, we need a trailer. And they go, there's the money to go buy the Christ Community Trailer. And we began to see that. And then what happened is we became a church and we got a building, we got a campus. And Mike just said, hey, what about a church that we just meet needs? And how about if we just put up, so we're working toward trying to just put up some needs from time to time. And maybe you can meet the needs in this room. That's the kind of church. That's what small groups does at its best. It just, it, it presents itself. Number two, small groups can assimilate growth. They can assimilate a crowd. People can begin to come in. During the first 25 years of Jerusalem, it grew from 120 people to 200,000. Would you say that's pretty successful? I mean, the church was taken off because of the risen Christ, because of who Jesus was. There was a movement taking place. And growing larger means growing smaller, and we grow smaller around the kitchen tables. Number three, small groups build and foster relationships. It's in my DNA. When I wrote the mission statement when we started the church, that had to be a huge part of who we were. And I haven't realized how eternal that was, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and relationship with each other. And so we build relationships in small groups. Many of my small group members that meet with my wife and I, they're in this room. They'll be in the next service. Some are maybe out of town today. You've got people in here that are in your small group. You've got other people. You don't have a clue who they are. Maybe this year God will pull you all together. Look at Mark 12. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. Love my neighbor as myself. You see, here's the deal. If you go to a hairstylist on Tuesday... And they butcher your hair up. I mean, man, dude, I mean, it's just a nasty cut. And you walk home and the dog won't even look at you. It's bad. And you're like, I don't even think they had a license. I mean, I don't know what they had. They must, might have been on drugs before I got there. Man, this is a bad haircut. Would you just go, no more haircuts, not going back to the stylist? Women, I'm not coloring my hair anymore. Oops, I just stepped on a proverbial nerve. And I'm not going to do it. You don't do that, do you? What do you do, women? What do you do, men? You go find another hairstylist and you try again. Well, you see, let me tell you why I told you that. In small group ministry, some of you tried it last year and you go, I don't like it. Well, they didn't like you either. So try another one. Hey, go ahead and bounce. You're going to find somebody you're going to do life together with. And the church said a big. I mean, dude, I mean, sometimes you go somewhere like, I don't like that. Well, hey, don't worry about it. If they took a vote, they'd probably vote to get you out of the room too. So, you know, they're not. We don't do that. It's the church. So just find somebody that you like, you want to hang out with them. As many diverse people as we have at Christ Community, you can find somebody just like you or close to you. And the cool thing is they might be different from you, so they're going to stretch you, they're going to push you, because you see, not doing life with one another is distinctly not Christian. Oh, the book of Acts says they were one in heart and mind. They were united. They did it together in the homes. In the synagogue, I mean, they just hung out. So discipleship is not a solo pursuit. Write that down. Discipleship is not a solo pursuit. It is to be done in community, the community of the home of faith. Fourth, small groups follow the example of Jesus. I can't give you a higher example than Jesus. And uh, so you look at the Gospels, and you see that Jesus had all these large gatherings by the sea and on the mountainside and all these places he went. But he always pulled into the 12, and he pulled into the 3, and he had the intimate gatherings. And so as I was looking through Scripture, Matthew 26, 38 says this. 
Then Jesus speaking said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, what do we know about the disciples when he asked them to stay and keep watch with him? Yeah, they fell asleep. Man, good friends they were. But the principle is he was doing life with others. We should do life with others. We should sleep. Well, i got to watch how I say that. We shouldn't sleep with others. No, no, no. Let's don't go there. Just erase it off the CD quick. Okay. Uh, we we want to do life together. We want to eat together at the table. We want we want to hang out. L- let me move quickly. I, ooh, I messed up that transition. Okay. That's my sex talk coming in about a month. Okay, here we go. All right. Doing life with others. It just it just gets difficult. And it's fine. And you get a different point of reference because somebody else comes with something a little different than what you've got. But there's eight reasons the church needs small groups. Get ready to write. Number one. Small groups encourage spiritual growth and health. Not just numerical growth. But spiritual union, spiritual vitality, building a healthy church of the Lord Jesus. In Acts 2.42, back to Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, man, they were all about Jesus, and they were all about the things of the kingdom, and they wanted to follow him. And so the church needs to be a church of healthy relationships. Now, there's dysfunction, but it needs to be healthy. It's motivated uh, to achieve more potential than it can do alone. We educate as we go through the scriptures together. We learn to persevere, to endure in our faith, to endure in our trials. Two, small groups nourish relational health. It's a church of relationships. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, let us not give up meeting together. They were talking about going to the temple, going to the synagogue, but also going to the homes. Don't ever forsake that. I love this season of the year because we're going to start doing life together again. This summer, it gets a little crazy and people are gone. A lot of groups don't meet in the summer, not near as regular. But, man, when fall hits, when August hits, when September rolls around, everybody starts hanging out, man. It, life gets really good. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That whole thing of intentionality, you don't do it by yourself. You, you do it in concert with men and women, with boys and girls. Our children have small groups. Our students have small groups. Our collegians will have small groups as it grows. Our adults have small groups. It's the way of the master. It, it just makes sense. We are designed for interdependency, not independence. Oh, I'm strong. I'll pull myself up. You will not. You need to be interdependent with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that gathers. And as we do that, we're designed for a communal response of faith. And, and, and we just learn to do it. I mean, it, I, I love to preach. You know that. I love to teach. It's the passion. But probably the funnest thing I do is doing small group. It, it's just fun. I'd love to speak to crowds. I'd love to speak to bigger crowds. I'd love to speak to thousands or millions. I, I, that really energizes me. But when it's all said and done, I really want to do life with a smaller band of people. Because that's where we can find healing and strength. Matter of fact, just write down Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and verses 21 through 24. And it's, it's, it implies the marriage relationship, and that's rightly so. But I want to expand the borders of that passage because the Scripture says, it is not good for man to be alone. But what I'm trying to encourage you to do is not to be alone, but also to do life in the greater context, that you do it with other people, that you just say, hey, I, I want to do this. There's there, there's identification here. It, it, it goes beyond that covenant to saying, you know what, I've got to do this with other people. I need their assistance. I need their help. It's not good for me to be alone. And, and we'll see why. Third, small groups build emotional support. This morning, when Debbie, when Matt came in, as soon as I found out from Randy that Matt's grandmother had passed away, I ran out to the parking lot to give him a big greet. 
just want to give him a big hug. He said, man, I love you. And then I ran around and I grabbed Debbie. He said, Debbie, man, I love you. And we're praying for him. We stopped in the service because that was a place of support. But the greater thing is, not in this big arena, and when we just kind of do life and we do uh, do it together, it's like this. Uh, last night we had a party, and Mama had a birthday cake. And we had celebration, didn't we, Hannah? I mean, it was awesome, and, and then there's a cake. And uh, and so we, we, we celebrate. Everybody understand the, the concept of celebrate? It's a cool concept, isn't it? No, wait a minute. Is celebration a good deal? That's what we do on Sunday morning. We celebrate. But guess what? Sometimes I'm faking because I, I cried last weekend. I mean, we, we cry. I mean, sometimes you just need to cry, man. Sometimes your life stinks. Sometimes life's hard. Sometimes everything's falling apart and you need somebody to lean on. You don't walk into church and just, I mean, some people do. And it's a little different, but that's okay because we're a safe place. But in a small context of believers that love you, you, you don't celebrate only, but you, you cry together. Because you can expose the real you. You can expose the pain of your heart, the brokenness of your soul. And if you're not in small groups, I just ask, why? Why do you do that? Why do you choose to do life alone? You're saying, but I'm an introvert. Or there's lots of introverts at Christ Communion. There's lots of extroverts. And there's lots of people in between. And we don't have like Randy's going to, him and the gas away, say, these are the extrovert groups for the year. These are the introverts. You'll figure it out when you go in. Believe me. You remember that ridiculous video the other day when everybody was like shaking their booty and dancing and KC and the Sunshine Band or whatever? Yeah, I understand all that stuff. Hey, some of you are like, dude, if I went to that, I would go therapy the rest of the year. But then some of you are like, man, you're looking for a party. And other people, you just want to sit around and sing Kumbaya and deep meditation. And that's okay. There'll be a group probably for you too. If not, why don't you start one? You just do life. I'm trying to convince you because I, I think it's the heart of our church. It's a safe place. When you go to the hospital, when you have a death, when you have a wedding, when you have a celebration, when you have an accomplishment, where do you find a place of acceptance? I think it's in a small group. The Christian community is the body of Christ expressing the life and the message of Jesus to build up one another, to redeem the world for God's glory. That's really what I'm about, what our church stands for, is the redemption of mankind, is to see the world redeemed through the personal relationship with Jesus. But we celebrate it together. You know, there's a lot of, I read this term and I loved it, there's a lot of church-hopping renegades around the river region. Why don't you write that down? Church-hopping renegades. I love that. I didn't call you one, but if, if it implies you, then go change it. Begin to live in community in concert. Follow Jesus. It means living in community. Romans 12, 15, I'll give you this verse quick. Romans 12, 15 says, weep with those who weep. It's very critical. You admit that you feel safe. Four, small groups stimulate service. You begin to do service with other people, and you can create service projects. And that's one of our goals, I hope, for the new uh, small group year, is that we begin to, to do service projects together as small groups, not just collectively as the body of Christ. There's expressions of compassion. Write that thought down. Expressions of compassion of Jesus' hands. Tonight, I'm going to cast a vision to the volunteer army about this in a little depth. You'll learn about it later if you're not here. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to do some things this year that I'm very thrilled about. First Peter 4.10 says, use whatever gift you have, whatever gift you have received, use it to serve others. Not to serve yourself, but to serve others. That's why Jesus gives us spiritual gifts. Fifth, small groups help incorporate newcomers. It's always tough for me in the summer because a lot of new people come and a lot of people leave that are moving. 
And newcomers don't know quite how to fit because you can't connect in, in rooms of just seas of people. But small groups will connect a newcomer to become an old comer, and they'll just hang out and they'll do life. And you begin to define your life and their life and the culture of that small group, and you just, you just grow more in Jesus. It, it's a beautiful thing. Six, small groups develop leadership. Sometimes we have leadership vacuums around here. I think leadership best emerges out of small groups because maybe you try spiritual gifts. Maybe you try out things. Maybe you try to lead a group one week and everybody goes, hey, dude, you're horrible. I mean, you, you couldn't even get the dog to come. I mean, man, you're not a leader. You know what? You're great. You have a great hospitality gift. Hey, you have a gift of administration. It is amazing. Or you go, man, you, when you teach, when you led our group last week, you're amazing. I'm telling the gasaways on you. That means we're going to get you to lead a group. You see what I'm saying? Is, is this making sense to people? Okay, Clint, thank you. Me and you are going to do this together. Okay. Um, and tap leadership gifts, releasing the spiritual life in you. A leader, the leaders, just let me say this, the leaders simply shepherd the groups. That's what a small group leader does. They, they, they champion care. They, uh, uh, Jesus put it this way to Peter one day. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. I do that on the bigger mass, but I love it when we do it in community and we go, God, I want to reflect your redemption. Seven, small groups help sustain the Great Commission focus. We are a Great Commission church. There's a focus that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples. And as we do that, we begin to invite our neighbors. We begin to invite our school friends. We begin to uh, go to the workplace. And we see, I just want you to capture this in your heart or write it down. Would you begin to see your workplace or your school starting this Monday as an environment for the Savior? Not as a compartmentalized place that you go to to earn a paycheck, but see that as a place of ministry. Men, I'm going to challenge you and women. I think some small groups should start in the workplace in the next six weeks, and some of you should be leading them before work and at lunch and after work. You just go, I want to get some other people. I want them to know that I am a Christian, and we're beginning to do the Jesus life together. Amen? I mean, that, that's, that's a very just an invitation. It's real open. Some of you say, hey, I could do that. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says, Find satisfaction in your labor. Whatever you do, don't dread it. Go, I'm retiring in 20 years. You're miserable. You, you know what's so cool about what I do? I don't have a retirement date in sight. I really don't. If Jesus takes me off this platform one day, that would be just fine with me. I want to go and go. And I'm not saying you can't retire, but you can't retire to go home and do nothing. I mean, let me just pick on one. I picked on him earlier. Might as well pick on him again because he won't talk to me next week anyway. But Mike Murphy, you know what he did this past week? It was the coolest thing. I never even seen anything. He came about meat needs. I thought, man, he's going to champion the cause for Jesus. And I drove out the other day, and I tend, to, I tend to notice details around the campus all the time. And I've been meaning to say something to somebody, but I didn't do it. And the mailbox has been, like, driving me nuts. And some of you are like, y'all have a mailbox out there? Yeah, we do. And, uh, and, and Mike painted it the other day. It's black again. It, it, it looks awesome. He just went in there and simply did it. He's always just finding stuff to do. And so many of you just do that. And some of you are like, dude, I don't want to do nothing. Well, let's find our common place of service. Bringing glory to Christ. All right, let's go to the next one. Eight, small groups create environments to tell the truth. Oh, that's, this is a tough one. Where you tell the truth. You see, the Bible uses the word admonish that I'm going to break down in just a moment. And some of you would go, I'd rather have a root canal than go to a small group. Now, you really hate small groups if you want to go have a root canal versus that. And even if they admonish you and correct you and redeem the situation in your small group, you'd rather go sit in a dental chair. I would begin to wonder, you got a drug problem or you just like pain. I, I don't know why you'd want to go to the dentist. I, I love my dentist, but 
I don't go hang out with him and go, hey, dude, could you like do a root canal for fun this week? I, ugh, ugh. That just makes me sick thinking about it. Okay, uh, let's move on. So you trust. But see, as I was studying this, let me see if I can find this word. N-O-U, write this down. N-O-U-T-H-E-T-E-O. Nuthetio. And that word means in the Greek, it means to put in mind, to warn, warn. It's a corrective form of teaching. The Bible talks about admonishment. You can't admonish in a big room. It just doesn't work. You admonish in a small group. And let me give you some verses. Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. It's the way of Jesus. You just do it in a small group context. Sometimes we need to be admonished. Sometimes we just need to be corrected. Sometimes we just need to be redeemed. Sometimes we just need to be built up and encouraged. Sometimes we need to celebrate. Sometimes we need to cry. I don't know what the season of your soul is, but it happens in small groups around the table. Well, this morning, life change happens. The very last thing. Life change happens the very best in the context of what? Community of intentional relationships. If you choose to intentionally do life with other people, I will give you one promise. You will grow in Jesus Christ this year. If you choose not to, you could grow. You probably just won't grow as much as you could because it's not God's way. Across the bottom, there's a great quote from John Ordberg. No one drifts into spiritual trans- transformation. It requires effort. You didn't just drift into having a degree from college. You took effort to pursue your college degree or whatever in life or certification or whatever you were working for. In spiritual discipline, spiritual life, you have to put effort. You have to let the Holy Spirit powerfully work in you and express his outward of you. And it's an awesome thing. Well, that's God's message in part one. Next weekend, let me just tell you, you don't want to miss it. We've got some neat things planned. It's called Rally Day. It will help you foster your spiritual life. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I pray that folks are connecting with you, Father. I pray that we're seeing your heart and the things that really matter to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that today some people would see uh, life a little differently. I pray that they would see their need to connect with you personally through Jesus, your son, and connect with other people. Maybe there's a barrier right now between you and God. I pray that today you would ask God to remove that wall, that barrier. And I I pray that you would even ask Christ to come and live on the inside of you, that he would give you a new life and a new heart. Even in this service this morning, Christ could do that for you. So I'm going to ask you boldly, unashamedly, would you make a commitment to Jesus Christ this morning? Would you surrender your life to him? It's just simply surrendering in prayer and saying, Jesus Christ, I need you in my life. I want you to run it. I want you to take control. If you're willing to do that with your heads bowed, I'm just going to invite you right now to call upon Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ, you are the hope of the world and you're the hope for my sins to be forgiven. Would you come into my life this morning and save me? Wash me in your blood. Cleanse me and be my Savior and Lord. Take my life, Lord. Give me a new heart, a new start. 
Lord, just do something in me right now, fresh. By faith, I receive you. I'm just curious, if anybody did that with heads bowed, would you just raise your hands and open your eyes and look up at me? Just raise your hands to the heavens. You, last weekend, about three made commitments. Did anybody want to do that right now, this morning? You just open your heart. You ask Christ to come in. If you did that, raise your hands signifying, Lord Jesus, I want you, and make a commitment of faith. Okay? Well, here's the second one. Maybe you just have a need of prayer. I'm going to instruct this, and hopefully before long, everybody just gets it. Over at the cross, we have an elder. During this last part of the service, slide over there and receive prayer. That's what the office of elders for. They're there to minister to one another. They're here to minister to us. They're here to minister to your need. Lord Jesus, do something significant right now in our hearts. And Lord, open our minds and hearts to biblical community. Lord, maybe we've had bad attitudes in the past, but starting today, I choose to want to be a person will take a step closer to you. And if small groups is how we do discipleship, I want to sign up and be a part of that. Give me courage to take the next step. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these prayers. Amen.